It is so good to uh, be back with you again. Tanya and I always love coming up and being with the Southwoods family. Uh, just a correction, um, Greg grew up in Tulsa. I grew up in Oklahoma City, otherwise known as West Jerusalem. Um, so we were friends in high school, but we didn't go to the same high school. Th that would have been really bad, because uh, uh, he'd have known way too much about me. But I have known Greg since we were both 15 years old and loved uh, I just love Greg and Lori, and I know you do, and I'm so thankful that you're uh, giving them this extended time just to press in so that when they come back, they will just be that much more ready uh, to continue serving uh, our Lord and, and this church. And I really want you to know that I believe that this may be a sabbatical for them, but don't make the mistake of thinking that uh, this is just all about them. I believe the Lord's going to be doing something here with you for the next three months, preparing you and them at the same time, and I hope that's your heart. I hope that you will just be letting the Lord, with some of us newbies coming in here and uh, shouting at you for a few months, however it goes, uh, that you'll just let the Lord uh, prepare you and do something new in you so that together uh, y'all will move forward. I'm from Oklahoma City, y'all. Okay, so, so, <laughs> so uh, it's really good to be here because I know that uh, many of you have uh, been to our seders, you've been with us to Israel, and so just happy to be here. So I just want to dive right in uh, to this message because I really believe it's a very important message, uh, not because I'm the one preaching it, but because it has always been the message. It began with the son of a priest. His name was Yochanan. You know him as John. John the Baptist. The scripture says he came into the wilderness of Judea preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what that really means is, Repent, because the kingdom has drawn near. When Jesus came to be baptized by John, John resisted, but Jesus insisted because he was on one mission. And when, when he gave an explanation to John for why he had to do this, he said these words, to fulfill all righteousness. Whatever Jesus' reasons were, it was deeply connected to a, a word that we're going to talk about this morning, righteousness. After his 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus began his public ministry, and the message remained the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near to you. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus calls the first 12 uh, men who would become the apostles, and he sends them out, and he tells them, Go to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform miracles, just as Jesus himself had been doing. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus appoints 70 more and sends them out by twos, 35 teams, two-man missionary teams, going throughout the region with one message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The Son of God is both consistent and persistent because he had one message. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near to you for one reason, so that you can participate in it. That's the whole reason for the kingdom of heaven being drawn near to you. They'd been learning about it every time they took their sacrifices to the altar of God because the very word for sacrifice is from a Hebrew word that means to draw near. 
And he teaches them that when you draw, you wish to draw near, you draw near to me and I will meet you there. And now the message is you've drawn near to me, but now the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to you. What an amazing thing to proclaim. Nicodemus, a ruling Pharisee, comes to him at night and Jesus says two amazing things about the kingdom. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Unless a person is born again, you can, they will not see the kingdom of heaven. In John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want you to kind of uh, put a hook on those words. See the kingdom of heaven and enter the kingdom of heaven because they're going to factor into what we want to share today. Every message he preached, every manifestation of divine power he performed, every healing miracle he gave as a gift of God's love was to reveal one thing. The kingdom of God and his righteousness had drawn near to those who would receive it. Whether it was John the 12 or the 70, the message remained the same. And when Jesus was on the mountain teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he came to this powerful place after trying to help the disciples and all those who were gathered there to understand that they needn't worry about the things of the world, but to prioritize that which he prioritized. He said in Matthew 6, which is kind of our theme verse for today, Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Will you pray with me? Oh, Abba Father, we come to you in this very sacred moment to accomplish a sacred purpose, to hear what your Son, His disciples, John the Baptist, and everyone who has ever received the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the message. Father, to declare that which you have called us not only to declare, but to live. A kingdom life. Lord, I'm asking one thing. Bring the kingdom near. In this place. In this moment. In this time. For all whose hearts and minds are ready to turn to you and receive it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it took Jesus about three years to uh, kind of preach, teach, and manifest this message so that his disciples would understand it. Uh, in Wellston, Oklahoma, where I preach, we've been uh, in a series on the book of Luke for about a year and a half uh, trying to get a hold of. And I always tell people, look, it took Jesus three years. Don't be mad because it's taken me a year and a half. You know, I figure I'm well ahead of the pace. And today I've got to do it in less than 30 minutes. So uh, you might want to buckle up. I begin with this question. If the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness was the one and only message of his ministry, how is it that it has not become the passion of our lives and the purpose of our assemblies? How is it that the thing that John came to prepare them to hear, that Jesus came to declare, that the 12 were sent to declare, that the 70 were sent to declare, how is it that Jesus can tell the people, including us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and somehow we get distracted by every other thing? 
We need to answer that question. Maybe it's because we never really knew what we were being called to pursue. So very quickly this morning, I want to attempt to clarify what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, what, is, what that really is and what it looks like. So Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first. Now, I'm pretty sure all of you are educated enough to understand what first means. It means it comes ahead of everything else. And in the context that Jesus uses it, he's just talked about telling people, you know, don't worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and all these things. But here's the point. Until we see the kingdom of God and his righteousness as the most important need in our life, it will never be the priority and we will never experience the peace, the purpose, and the power that comes from a life that is totally focused on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Did you hear those three things? Purpose, peace, and power. I mean, how many of you would like to have purpose, peace, and power in your life? Amen? Man, I I want all three of those. Jesus says, here's how you do it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you don't, then don't be surprised when there's no purpose, when there's no peace, and when there's no power to live this life the way he intended. The kingdom has to be first. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Now, every believer must know that this is the primary choice we make. When we come to be saved, when we call on the name of the Lord, it's not just to be forgiven. We are being grafted into the kingdom of God. And the choice that we have to make is, at that moment, are we going to pursue the kingdom of men, the way mankind lives, the things mankind prioritizes, or are we going to seek the kingdom of God? Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 6 that if you make the kingdom of God your primary passion and pursuit, it will free you from the anxiety of worrying about all these material necessities of life. That's where the peace comes from. The thing that inhibits us the most from doing the will of God and doing the work of God is that we're so busy worrying about all these other things. Am I wrong? I mean, we are just focused. How am I going to pay the bills? Oh, what's going to happen in this relationship? We worry and we fret about everything. There's no peace there, is there? That's why Jesus said, maybe you ought to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll take care of these other things. That is freedom. And in that freedom comes peace. Now, if that is the case, why wouldn't we want to pursue it? And again, I suggest, because maybe it isn't, clear to us what we're trying to pursue. And I want you to know I'm not, I'm not blaming you for that. If anything, it is the fault of preachers and theologians who through the centuries have not clarified what this is. You see, our working definition of the kingdom just doesn't match the one that Jesus was using. The minute you hear about the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, our natural inclination is to go where? To the resurrection, to the return of Christ, to the final expression, the fullest expression of the kingdom of God, which it is. But Jesus came and said, I have brought the kingdom near to you now. Why? So you can participate in it. Not just later, but now. So that you can see it in your life, operative in your life now, and you will be ready to enter it when he comes again. 
but you must be born again, right? So, what is this thing that Yeshua says Jesus calls the Malkut HaShemayim, the kingdom of heaven, uh, or the kingdom of God? When Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, he kept declaring that it had drawn near. So, here's the definition that we need to understand. The kingdom of God, while it is a distant promise, it's also its present reality. Uh, I got ahead of myself, so now I've got to find where I'm at in my notes. Uh, <laughs> everything Jesus did related to this message. His whole ministry was his message, his manifestation, and the miracles. Now, how do I break that down? We're going to look at how he taught the kingdom of God. That's the message. We're going to look at the manifestation. A manifestation is what I would call walking on the water, calming the storm, casting out demons, making sure the whole world knows that whenever he manifested the power of the kingdom of God, he was manifesting he is Lord of heaven and earth. But then there's the miracles of healing. And that's where it gets real personal, where he's, he's showing you that he's come to restore your life, that this is a picture of that ultimate healing that is coming. So real quickly, I want to show you what the message of the kingdom is or how he brought the message. How did Jesus teach the kingdom of God in a way that would help us understand that we can live in its power today? This is going to blow your mind. He taught it in parables. And you say, but Brent, I don't always understand parables. Exactly. Because a parable has to get into your soul, it has to get into your mind, it has to get into your heart, and you have to work with it. It's, it's almost like he's planted something within you to wrestle with. You see, Jesus used the parables to teach, and this is just crazy, because Jesus used parables to teach us what the kingdom was like, because are you ready for this? Because the kingdom is like a parable. Let me say that again. Jesus used parables to teach us what the kingdom was like because the kingdom turns out to be just like a parable. Let me explain what a parable is. The Greek word parabole is, is the word we get the word parable from, and I love it because it's, it's a preposition, para, with a, a verb, balo, which means I cast or I throw. But para means I come alongside. Maybe you've heard of the Holy Spirit. In, in the Greek, we call it the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And that's what a parable is. Jesus comes alongside like a sower who went out to sow his seed. And what does he do? He casts the word of truth like a seed into your life so that it can begin to germinate and grow because that's what a parable does. And that's exactly how the kingdom functions in your life. The, he uses a parable to teach the kingdom because the kingdom, turns out, functions just like a parable. It is a truth that begins to operate in your life. And so what is the very first parable that he tells? <laughs> the one parable that is literally the personification of a parable. A sower. If you wanted to personify what a parable would look like in a person, it is in fact a sower who goes out to sow his seed. That's not only what a parable is, that's exactly what a parable does. A sower goes out to cast his seed into the heart of people. And my friends, it grows, a seed grows because it's alive. Come on, are you with me? 
Now, if the parable, if he teaches with a parable, because a parable teaches the kingdom, the kingdom's like a, a parable, then what that means is that the seed of the truth of the kingdom is not just a concept, it's a living reality that God wants growing in your life. So if that's a living reality, that means the kingdom has drawn near to you. It is beginning to function and grow and become alive in your heart. And whenever we saw the kingdom, when Jesus taught it, what did we see? Powerful messages. Manifestations of the power of God. Miracles of healing. Because this is what the living presence of God's kingdom does in our lives. I want to read from Luke chapter 8, where Luke records this first message. But I just want to read... Luke 8, verses 9 and 11. This is kind of after he, or just before he tells this. He says, His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is in parables so that they may see, uh, they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Why? Because they're not willing to let it grow. Understand that Jesus came and manifested the kingdom in front of everybody. But only some received it. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Is this making any sense to you? You see, the kingdom is, is, is a living thing by the presence of the Holy Spirit in those who have been born again, and it is be bringing the life, the power, the message, and the purpose of God's kingdom presence into our lives. The Word of God, which the writer of Hebrews says, is alive and active. I love that line in the song, Build Your Kingdom Here. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Man, if I could start something in the Southwoods Christian Church today as my dear brother is beginning uh, on this sabbatical journey, it would be to sow a seed that when he comes back, he has found a church that has allowed the kingdom seed to become more than a concept, more than a line in a song, but it has become the passion and purpose of our lives. God, awake the kingdom seed in us. Let's stop living like it's in the future and start living like it's present. It's alive, amen? And it wants to change your life. Remember, purpose, peace, power. I mean, just think about your life right now. If you had purpose and peace and power, would it be different? Would this week be different? Just wave at me if, you're, if your life would be different this week. I got to get me some of that because that's what he's brought near. Now, I love this, oh. but there's an enemy, the devil. Boo the devil. I love it in Luke chapter 8 because anybody speak Spanish in here? Anybody? What's the, what's the Greek, what's the Spanish word for devil? Say it. Diablo. From the Greek word dia, preposition, balo. What's a parable? Para balo, alongside I cast. The devil is diabolos. Same root, different preposition. 
Because the devil comes not to bring truth alongside you, but to go through you and steal the seed that God has put into your heart. It's almost like someone planned this. So what are you going to do? Are you going to let the sower come alongside and plant the living seed in your life? Or are you going to let the diabolos come and steal it away from you? It doesn't have to, it's not hard for him. All he has to do is convince you of one thing. That all these things will not be added unto you. That's all he has to do. Because the minute he convinces you that all these things will not be added unto you, you stop seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. Because you got to go work it out. Jesus also used manifestation and miracle. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus proclaimed, he said, man, if I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, you better know the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is in your midst. It's not a future thing. It's a living present reality. So church, we have to ask ourselves an uncomfortable question. How can we have the living seed of God's kingdom presence, the Holy Spirit within us, and not see the kingdom power that was promised to go along with it. There's a very good reason. It's because of that second part of what we were told to pursue. He said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Man, I just, I wish, when you leave here today, I just hope the Lord just torments you with the word righteousness. I love this word. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, and he says something that initially sounds terrifying. He says, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So i got to be born again. i got to be born of the water and the Spirit. And oh, by the way, unless my righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, not happening. Now that's crazy because it almost sounds like, I mean, we've, our whole lives we've been taught, no, no, we're saved by grace, and that sounds like works righteousness. And the re, how, many, how many of you think that sounds like works righteousness? Like you've got to go do something to earn it. Like I've got to go amp up my righteousness. Yeah? That's because you don't know what righteousness is. Because the minute you know what righteousness really is, the way Jesus was using it, as opposed to the way we use it, it'll make sense to you. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. And this is going to give us a window into what the real definition that he was using is the right definition. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. When uh, those of you who have been to Israel wave at me. When you went to check out of a Jewish store, you might have seen a little box right next to the cash register. Do you remember it? That's called a tzedakah box because the word tzedakah is the word for righteousness, but it's the word for charity. You see, the definition of righteousness that we use is, 
oh my goodness, I've got to go morally perfect myself or God won't let me in the kingdom. No, he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what is this? You see, righteousness as used by Jesus and Paul in the New Testament is righteousness, tzedakah, is the giving of justice. It is the giving of charity. It's a grace life where you just are giving all the time. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. Because you're never like the Father if you don't learn to give. Because giving is the manifestation of the kingdom in our lives. Now this is where a good definition of righteousness becomes real helpful. And the best way to illustrate it is just to tell you what its opposite is. The opposite of righteousness is selfishness. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, the opposite of righteousness is selfishness. Now I'll say it, now come on, I know. So we're Christian church, we don't do that. But you, I don't want you just to hear my voice say it, you need to hear it. The opposite of righteousness is selfishness, and the kingdom of God does not empower selfishness. Woo, come on. Did I tell you I go to ORU? <laughs> This is the reason the church is powerless. We haven't believed that all these things will be added unto us. And that just takes us all the way back to selfishness. And he's calling us to righteousness. Miracles do not happen to validate selfishness. And lives that are lived constantly worrying about self, never getting out beyond themselves, never really believing the truth about the power of the presence of the Holy, the Spirit of the Holy God living in me, and I go out to face the world and go like, oh, what am I going to do? How much nearer can the kingdom of God be than Him putting the Holy Spirit Spirit within you. His life, His breath, His presence, His power to provide all that you need. You see, I want a life of power and purpose and peace. I want to face life and be used for the glory of God, but it's never going to happen to the degree that it can happen as long as I'm so worried about me. Now, I love this. You know, I, I showed you how uh, I gave you the opposite of righteousness to make it a little clearer now that you know what righteousness is versus selfishness. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. I love the Bible. I love the way God tells a story. Jesus juxtaposes two groups. Now, something you got to know about the scribes. The scribes are Sadducees. They are lawyers. They are experts in the law, right? So experts in the law are supposed to be the best what? Law keepers. The Pharisees, by the way, Sadducee comes from Sedekah, the Sedekim. They literally, the name of their group was the righteous ones. I'm not making this up. We are the righteous ones. The Pharisees, the Parashim, are the separated ones. They went one step further. We are the holy ones. And the thing the Pharisees were known for the most was how they gave 
charity. When Jesus goes after them in Matthew 23, he says, oh yeah, you tithe mint and cumin, but you don't give grace. You tie up burdens. So here are the Sadducees, the scribes, the experts of the law, and the Pharisees who are pretending to be the best givers. And who do you suppose Jesus always juxtaposes them with? (laughs) The tax collectors and the sinners. Now, I, I, I think you're smart enough to figure this out. If a scribe is an expert in the law, what is a sinner? A breaker of the law. The Pharisees are supposed to be the ones who tell everybody, you have to give like us. And Jesus says, don't give like them. What's a tax collector? A taker. Do you see it? Do you understand how Jesus is is modeling this story in every story, in every conflict, all this time? Scribes and Pharisees, tax collectors and sinners. But who do you think, church, ultimately got to experience the power of the kingdom of God? The scribes and the Pharisees or the tax collectors and sinners? Come on, talk to me, church. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. until you remember what the message was. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And these guys were not willing to repent. We're the righteous ones. We're the separated ones. But the broken, the ones who knew they had no excuse, the takers, I love Zacchaeus. And he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. And he found the kingdom. And salvation came to his house. Do you understand, church, why we may be struggling to function in the power of God? Is it possible, is it possible that the reason we live lives without peace, without purpose, we don't get up thinking today is a kingdom of God day. I'm going out this door with the Holy Spirit inside me. There's nothing coming at the office, at school, that the power of God cannot equip me to deal with. If we will seek first the kingdom, not just as a goal someday. I want to enter it, but right now, I want to see it. I want to live in it. I want divine appointments. I want to walk away from conversations knowing that, that I suddenly sounded way smarter than I actually am. I I want to walk away from conversations when people say, how did you know to say that to me? I, I want to reach in a bag and find the exact amount of money 
I desperately needed that had been there for over a year and I didn't find it till the day I needed it and cried out to God, God save me, I can't pay this bill. There you go. True story. Plus many more. I, I want to live in the power of the kingdom of God. And here's why. Because Paul says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? It's giving. It's that it's that moment of grace. It's that, it's that act of God's love. It's that giving the right thing at the right moment that we could become the righteousness of God. Church, we're about to close. I'm going to pray. And you're going to go out those doors. And someone out there is waiting to encounter a person who lives their life in peace and purpose and power because they seek first the kingdom of God. And they're waiting for you. I want you to think about this. They're waiting for you right now to be the righteousness of God. The person with the word, the person with the financial blessing, the purpose, the person who is just sent to them with the message of hope, God's gift to them. That only happens when we decide to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing all other things for life and godliness. He's got our back. Someone's waiting for you to be the righteousness of God. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in this place today. Forgive us for failing to trust you. Forgive us for failing to believe that your spirit's presence is a reality. It's not a concept. It's He's here. He, he's alive within us. Father, for those who's, who are here today who, who don't feel peace, who don't feel like there's a purpose in their life, who, who just, for Christians who just think, well, you know, I, we sing about it, but I just can't seem to experience. Father, draw us to the kingdom. Lord, we give you permission to expose selfishness. Do what you have to do, Lord, so that we will stop serving ourselves and turn to be the righteousness of God. To that end, Lord, I ask that you would bless them, you would keep them, you would make your face and your countenance to shine upon them so that they can live and dwell and serve in your peace. To the glory of Jesus, amen. Go be the righteousness of God.